My reading this morning is by author Kirsten Weir. Paul Selai, PhD, is falling asleep. As he nods off, a sleep-tracking glove called Dormio, developed by scientists at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, detects his nascent sleep state and jars him awake. Pulled back from the brink, he jots down the artistic ideas that came to him during those semi-lucid moments. Selye is an assistant professor of psychology and neuroscience at the Duke Institute for Brain Sciences, and he is also an artist. He uses Dormio to tap into the world of hypnagogia, the transitional state that exists at the boundary between wakefulness and sleep. In a mini experiment, he creates a series of paintings, paintings inspired by ideas plucked from his hypnagogic, hypnagogic state, and another series from the ideas that came to him during his waking hours. Then he asked friends to rate how creative the paintings were without telling them which were which. They judged the hypnagogic, hypnagogic, I should have looked that one up, hypnagogic paintings as significantly more creative. In dream states, we seem to be able to link things together that we normally wouldn't connect, Sally, I said. It's like there's an artist in my brain that I get to know through hypnagogia. The experiment is one of many now, and yes, creative, ways that psychologists are studying the science of creativity. At an individual level, creativity can lead to personal fulfillment and positive academic and professional outcomes, and even be therapeutic. People take pleasure in creative thoughts, research suggests, even if they don't think of themselves as especially creative. Beyond those individual benefits, creativity is an endeavor with implications for society, said Jonathan Schooler, PhD, a professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Creativity is at the core of innovation. We rely on innovation for advancing humanity as well as for pleasure and entertainment, he said. Creativity underlies so much of what humans value. Some time ago, I'm thinking maybe early last spring, my car at home in the garage would not start. This was in the early evening. I called AAA, and they said they would have someone out and that they would call before they arrived. I read a little and watched some mindless television as I anxiously awaited their call, and after several hours, I called again. It was about 10 o'clock. I was told they were quite busy, but that they would be there shortly. Again, I waited, finally giving up and going to bed sometime after midnight. The next morning around 6 a.m., 6 a.m., did you know there are two sixes on the clock? <laughs> 6 a.m., the call came telling me they would be there in about 15 minutes. Now, I am not a morning person. So I muttered an obscenity, climbed out of bed, pulled on some clothes, and stepped in my, into my shoes, 
the two pair I most often wear waiting patiently for me on the closet floor. I can't even believe this story I'm telling you, but it's absolutely true. I went to the living room, and sure enough, the AAA guy came shortly after. I went out to the garage with him, and it turns out it was the battery, which he charged and then went on his way. I headed back to bed. But when I got back to the bedroom and started taking my shoes off, I noticed with some consternation that I had my shoes on the wrong feet. <laughs> right on the left foot, left on the right foot. And not only that, I had one of each pair of <laughs> shoes on, <laughs> a gray one and a navy blue one. I said, I am not a morning person. I was somewhat dismayed, but also amused and grateful that this poor AAA guy didn't seem to be a morning person either, and I doubt that he even noticed my shoe folly. But it wasn't long after that that I read somewhere that right and left shoes were only relatively recently invented. Before that, they had all been simply shoes, which could be worn on either foot. I was surprised by that. I remember as a young child being taught that it was important to put the correct shoe on the correct foot, that there was a difference between right and left. I still recall that. And so I guess I just assumed that right and left shoes had been around forever. Not the case. Though there is some discrepancy online about when right and left shoes were created, the most prevalent thought is that it was around 1850. And one site said that they were created to make marching more comfortable for soldiers headed off to war. At any rate, I can't imagine that straight shoes, which were worn before the advent of left and right shoes, could have been as comfortable as left and right shoes. And so I am grateful to whomever invented and manufactured the shoes we wear today. Which got me to thinking about the nature of creativity in all of the human venture. It is an amazing thing that it is a common trait for humans to problem solve small and large problems by creating thoughts, ideas, and solutions to them. How amazing it is that in imagination, if you, in imagine if you can, the state of our species through the centuries if we had not had the ability to problem solve and create. There would be no bridges, no umbrellas, no buggies or carriages or cars. There would be no pencils, no paper, no books, no solid shelters, no plumbing or electric lights. There would be no ladders, no printing presses, no plumbing. There would be really little by which we could live comfortably and certainly little by which we, by which we could entertain ourselves and one another. Creativity is as much a part of life as is breathing, it seems to me, and it's fun to try to imagine the smallest invention or creation, the tiniest little thing, and how important that little thing became for us all, because creation so often builds upon creation. 
I'm talking mostly about practical creation here, but also the arts. Somebody created a really neat cell phone. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis. <laughs> that was very entertaining. <laughs> I'm talking mostly about practical creation here, but also the arts, the creation of stories, of songs, of dances, of pictures that evolved into books and symphonies and great art that opens our hearts and inspires our minds and our souls. Think of how seldom we see a rainbow, the magical rainbow. We've seen a one or two in our lives, maybe more, but not often. But how glorious are the depictions of rainbows in the arts, and how wonderful that we can easily access such beauty. Think of how moved we are by poetry, by books and novels that give rise to our own imaginations, by music, music everywhere around us and always available. Think of how accessible the world is to us because there are bridges and roadways and airports and planes, hotels and restaurants and rest stops. Think of modern technology and how it brings everything to our fingertips, if one knows how to use it, that is. There's a commercial on TV, and don't you hate it when programming interrupts the commercials we're trying to watch? <laughs> but there's a commercial for Progressive Insurance. I'll give them a little plug. There's a commercial for Progressive on now that features two pigeons standing on a fence. Have you seen it? There's a couple of them. Uh, in the one that I like, the first pigeon asked the second pigeon what he would do if he had $750, which is presumably how much he could save with Progressive. And the second pigeon says he'd buy a smartwatch. The first pigeon says that would be good, so he'd have a GPS to help him with his poor sense of direction. The second pigeon puffs out his chest and says, my grandfather was a homing pigeon. My sense of direction is genetic. The first pigeon, deciding to test him, says, Okay, which way is north? The second pigeon points his wing straight up. And the first pigeon says, Okay, that is up. It is not north. The second pigeon hangs his head and says, Maybe he should get a GPS. I tell you that story, the story of that commercial, because I love it, which is because I totally relate to it. Not only am I not a morning person, I have no sense of direction. If you look at a map, north is up, right? South is down, east is right, and west is left. It's not that I'm not reasonably bright, and it's not that I don't try, but I am positively and absolutely hopelessly directionally challenged. So someone who either was also directionally challenged or who wanted to help some of us who are invented the GPS. Bless them. Bless them. So much beauty and wonder are the results of the creative impulse 
and how grateful we all should be that that is so. And as I was researching this sermon, I read somewhere that animals have no such impulse. It is only humans who are creative. Oh, please. I won't take time to go there now, but really. Now, our creative abilities can be used for breathtaking good and wonder and beauty, as well as for horrendous bad and ugliness and destruction. That is an ugly fact. If only we could aim our collective human creativity toward a common goal of love and care for others, of care for all. But we've yet been able to come up with the creative efforts to make that happen. But when I become hopeless and dismayed over the state of the world, I think about the most basic and wondrous of inventions, of efforts, of creative problem solving, and I am cheered a bit, because there really is no end to our creativity. It is an endless resource. The late Maya Angelou has said that thinking creativity helps foster even greater creativity. The important thing is to use it, she wrote. You can't use up creativity. The more you use it, the more you have. And a couple of more thoughts by highly creative people. Creativity requires the courage to let go of certainty, Eric Fromm wrote. And Abraham Maslow said, almost all creativity involves purposeful play. And Rumi wrote, don't be satisfied with stories, how things have gone with others. Unfold your own myth. How will we unfold our own myths? How will you? How will I? May we spend some time considering the possibilities and opening our hearts and minds to the creative flow. Amen.